The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 121, A Song of Ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Wow, wonderful words there, huh? Okay, we're still in uh, leprosy here. We'll finish at least the uh, main part of leprosy up today. Leviticus 13, 38 through 59. All right. If you missed the first two leprosy sermons, you might not be able to follow along too well and understand what's going on, but every word of every verse points to Christ. So, starting in verse 38, if a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, then the priest shall look, and indeed, if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. And if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is... His clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Also, if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it is woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it is in the warp or woof of linen or wool, whether in leather or in anything made of leather, And if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest. The priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which is the plague seven days. And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day. If the plague is spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy. It is unclean. He shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or wolf, in wool or in linen, or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days." 
Then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed. And indeed, if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague is not spread, it is unclean. And you shall burn it in the fire. It continues eating away, whether the damage is outside or inside. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague is faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the wolf or out of the leather. But if it appears again in the garment, either in warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire that in which is the plague. Then you shall wash the garment, either warp or wolf or whatever is made of leather. If the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time and shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or wolf or in anything made of leather to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. Now that's a lot of verses and you'd think that we'd be here for a long time, but this is actually a very short sermon because I'm not going through all of the same symbolism that I normally do. You've all heard it and as I said, if you haven't, shame on you. Go back and watch those sermons and you'll understand everything. But we'll take you very quickly through a few verses in the New Testament just so that nobody here is confused about our state in Christ and whether we are bound to the law of Moses or not. I'm going to start in Colossians 2 verse 14. I actually read you 13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made together alive with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law of Moses is nailed to the cross. Christ embodies the law. He went to the cross Thus, the law was nailed to the cross in his body. He died. The law of Moses died in him. He was resurrected. His blood initiated a new covenant. Okay? So, we are not under the law of Moses according to Paul in Colossians 2.14. We're going to go on to Hebrews, and we'll start in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. We were under one law with Aaron, uh, different uh, dispensation. We are now under a new law with Christ. Okay, you can't have two high priests mediating two separate laws under God. There's one or the other. Verse 18 of chapter 7, for on the one hand, there is an annulling. Everybody know what annulling means? Okay, ending. It's finished. It's done. An annulling of the former commandment, meaning the law of Moses, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. The law of Moses was weak and it was unprofitable. Why would any church in America, and they're all over the country, want to go back under the law of Moses? Oh, I've got to observe this law. I've got to observe that law. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. Insane. All right? We're going to go on to chapter 8, verse 13. In that he says a new covenant. Are we under the new covenant? Where did it come from? Jesus. Jesus, Christ shed blood. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Okay, obsolete for all of you that don't know means we're still under it, okay? No, not at all. Obsolete means done. It is done. It is over. And finally, in chapter 10, verse 9, he takes away the first, meaning the law of Moses, that he may establish the second. We are not under the law of Moses, just so you are all aware of that. Okay, once again, we come to a passage that is as clearly designed to show us spiritual truths as anything could possibly be. The first half finishes our verses on leprosy of the skin. It includes a couple of verses about a person being bald. If a person's hair falls out to nothing more, he is bald, but he is clean. 
And that's a genuine relief for some of us. It would be a bit more than tragic if people were unclean simply because they were bald. So shine on, men. All is well. After that, there is the note about what a person who is declared unclean is required to do. It is, again, a really nice thing that these things only belong to the law of Moses and that being unclean in these ways was only a temporary part of what we see in redemptive history. The poor lepers of Israel were excluded from society. They were to make it visibly and audibly known that this was the case. And unless they were cured of their affliction, they remained this way permanently. And then, of course, there is the final major section of our verses, that of leprous garments. As you're going to see, there is no known parallel to what is described here in these verses. What is given applied only to Israel and only during the time of the law. As there is nothing to match what is described here anywhere else in recorded history or at any other location, then it is a clear indication that these verses are given to show us spiritual truths. This is 100% certain. Our text verse comes from Jude, little book, right before the book of Revelation, one page long. How many have never read the book of Jude? Everybody's got their hand down. Thank God for this church. Most people never get to these little obscure books like that. But in Jude, which is one chapter, so verses 22 and 23, it says the following. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. That verse right there ought to explain to you the entire purpose of the garments of this particular section. If not, you'll get to it in a second. Nowhere in the New Testament is there any hint of literal garments being defiled and thus being considered unclean. This is good because when I finish my morning jobs, especially the one at 7-Eleven, someone might otherwise want to send me to a priest for an evaluation. <laughs> and even worse were the things I used to wear when I worked in the wastewater business. That might lead to a lifetime sentence against me, but such is not the case. Verses in the New Testament and even passages from the Old Testament speak of garments as spiritual metaphors of either pure or unclean lives. To wash one's garments signifies having washed one's life and having it purified. To have garments defiled by the flesh speaks of having one's life defiled by earthly lusts and pleasures. Now that you know this, the seemingly irrelevant and even tedious final verses of Leviticus 13 should be considered neither irrelevant nor tedious. Instead, they should be a delightful banquet for you to sit down and consume as we continue our journey through this magnificent gift of God, his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Only two thoughts for you today. The first is unclean, unclean. It's verses 38 through 46. Verse 38, if a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots. We now have, once again, the specific identification which was first seen in verse 29, a man or a woman. Here the Hebrew states the affliction being considered beharot, beharot levanot, or bright spots, bright spots white. The same word for this condition, baharet, was first used in verse 2. It is a bright spot which draws attention to itself. In this case, it is also specified as white, a color denoting, does anybody remember what the word levana or white signifies? Works, works, 
Yes, remember that? Because when a brick is fired, it turns white. And then the bricks were used making the Tower of Babel, working their way to heaven. Don't forget these things because when you get in the Bible and you see a particular color or a particular stone or a rock or all these words have meaning as metaphors for something else. Verse 39, I can't believe nobody in here got that. Wow, I bet you everybody online right now is saying, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Verse 39, then the priest shall look, and indeed if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. The priest is to evaluate the bright spots to determine if they really are bright. If they are, it would be another matter entirely. But if they are instead kehot, levanot, bohak, or darkish white eczema, then there's nothing to worry about. The word bohak is only found right here in Scripture. It is a word that has continued, though, to be used in the Middle East. It corresponds to an Arabic word pronounced the same. It is a known affliction which does not render a person unclean, and therefore he is pronounced as such. The symbolism seems obvious. If a person's life is literally covered in works which are evident for all to see, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are prideful in their deeds, even though it may appear that way on the surface. This would be the person who literally gives himself away in doing good for others, so much so that they would even wear the skin off their own body in the process. God continues to use afflictions of the body to teach us spiritual truths. Verse 40. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, like Charlie, he is bald, but he is clean. The words translated as hair has fallen is a new verb, marat, which is derived from a root meaning to polish. Another new word is the adjective kariach, translated as bald. This particular word signifies baldness on the back of the head. It is used only here and of the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 2 verse 23. As hair in the Bible signifies awareness, and in particular, awareness of sin, being bald would signify being naive to sin and a readiness to receive or discover Christ. Such a person is clean. Verse 41, he whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. Now a different type of baldness is defined. It is where the hair falls mi peat panav, or from the side toward his face. When the hair falls off the head in this manner, then gibiahu, or his forehead, is bald. This word gibiach, or bald forehead, is found only here in the Bible. The root it comes from signifies to be high, as in the forehead. In the Bible, the forehead is the place of conscience and identification. Therefore, this symbolizes a person who sets their mind on something. As there is no leprous outbreak, the person pictured here is described by Paul in the book of Colossians, which says this, If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. This person is considered clean. However, in contrast to him, verse 42, And if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Here, two nouns, karachat and gabachat, will be seen here four times. All will be in this chapter and then will never be seen again. The first signifies to be bald or bare on the back part. The second signifies the same but on the forehead right here. If a reddish-white sore appears on either location, it is an indication of leprosy. 
Inspection is needed. Verse 43, then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if the swelling of the sore is reddish white on his bald head, back here, or his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, the priest is to inspect this leprous sore and make a determination as if it has the appearance of any other leprous sore somewhere else on the body. If this is so, then he is to make his pronouncement. Verse 44, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. In picture, the sore on the back of the head is a person who is not seeking Christ. The sore on the front of the head is a person seeking that which is carnal. Such people are unclean and are thus rendered unclean by the priest. As it says, Berosho nigo, in his head is the plague. Paul describes such as these. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Verse 45, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! The torn clothes, the disheveled hair, and the covered upper lip are all seen elsewhere in the Bible as signs of mourning and or shame. The cry of unclean, unclean was a sign and a warning to others of the disgrace that they bore. Albert Barnes rightly notes their state. He says, the leper was a living parable in the world of sin of which death was the wages. Not the less so because his suffering might have been in no degree due to his own personal deserts. He bore about with him at once the deadly fruit and the symbol of the sin of his race. As his body slowly perished, first the skin, then the flesh, then the bone fell to pieces while yet the animal life survived. He was a terrible picture of the gradual corruption of the spirit worked by sin. Even Albert Barnes got the symbolism right. He knew what was going on several hundred years ago is that these are picturing spiritual things to be found in New Testament theology. Sin is a deep infection and the very kinds of sin which are reflected in these various skin maladies render a person unclean. Such people will ultimately be separated forever from the people of God unless they turn to Christ for healing. Such is seen next, verse 46. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The sin which causes a person to be unclean keeps them defiled until they come to the physician, and I'm saying that with a capital P, in order to be healed. Only Christ can do this, and so they are not to be considered a part of the community of the saints. The word translated as alone here, however, is technically not correct. It is badad, a verb which indicates alone, but as if in isolation. In other words, if there are other lepers, they could and they were isolated together. We see this in the book of one or two kings. It is reflective of the division between those deemed as clean and those who are deemed as unclean. All the days that a person was unclean, they were to dwell not among the clean, but among the unclean. Unclean, unclean, my sin is an infectious wound. It has separated me from God's purified people. In the land of exile, I have been marooned, kept from fellowship there beneath the church steeple. I have had my mind set on earthly things. My eyes have lusted after that which is not pure and good. Only sadness and pain this life brings, and of this truth I have finally understood. 
Heal me of my infectious wound, O Lord. Cleanse me by the shed blood of the perfect Christ, and I will ever after turn my life toward the one who on Calvary's cross was sacrificed, purified, whole, and forever made clean in garments of white, radiant, pure, and pristine. Our second thought today is leprous garments. It's verses 47 through 59. Verse 47, also if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it is a woolen garment or a linen garment. The word now turns to leprosy of a garment. Here, two types of fabric are named, tzemer or wool and peshet or flax linen. What seems curious is that a garment is said to have leprosy. Different theories about this have arisen to somehow explain that this really isn't leprosy, but the wording and the symptoms of the plague warn against these introductions. Charles Ellicott notes that administrators of the law during the Second Temple period believed that the leprosy of garments and houses was not to be found in the world generally, but was a sign and a miracle in Israel to guard them against an evil tongue. In other words, this was a real, unique plague that was only found in Israel. Both of these materials were used for garments as coverings. They were never to be mixed in the same garment, though. That is forbidden in Deuteronomy 22, verse 11. You're never to wear a garment in Israel of two different types of material, wool and linen, for example. Verse 48, whether it is in the warp or the wolf of linen or wool. Before I go on, does anybody know why he said don't intermingle these types of uh, material, wool and linen? Nobody? Very good. He figured that out. Wonderful. Verse 48, whether it is in the warp or wolf of linen or wool. The translation here is extremely hard to pin down as to its true meaning. I spent an hour on this single set of words that I just read to you. First, two new words are introduced. The sheti, translated as warp, will be seen nine times in this chapter and it will never be seen again. They are the lengthwise yarns that are held in tension on a frame or a loom in order to create a cloth. This comes from a word which means to set. Next also is translated the erev, or the wolf. They are the threads which are drawn through, inserted over and under the lengthwise warp. Erev signifies mix or mingle. Elsewhere it is translated as, as he noted, foreigner. Together these form a fabric. But Because it seems more than improbable that a material would have an infection and threads going in one direction and not the other, I don't think this is at all what's being relayed here. One scholar says the inside or the outside. Others say it is the yarn to be used for the warp and for the wolf, but not yet sewn. But once they are sewn, it would be impossible to tear one out and not the other. There are two likely possibilities. The first is what is seen in several modern translations. They separate the two by saying woven or knitted material. In that, they distinguish between the types of fabric which have been made, not based on cloth for the material, but how the material is made. That's actually ingenious after eons of translation saying warp and wolf. Does anybody know the difference between knitted and woven material? I had no, she does. I had no idea. So I, she does too. I spent all of this time learning this during this uh, probably hour, maybe an hour and a half of this single verse here, because I wanted to know what does it mean woven as opposed to knitted. And now I know. And if you don't know, go look it up on Wikipedia or something and you'll figure it out. Okay. The other possibility is that it is speaking of two materials, the wool and the linen being sewn into two different types of cloth. 
Nobody else proposed that. That's my own personal thought, but it is the material which is being described. This is what I would go with. The roots of the words seem to give the answer. The shati is the linen. It indicates that which is set. Thus, it is an Israelite. The erev is the wool. It signifies mixture or mingling and is also translated as foreigner. Thus, it is a foreigner, just as the Zemorites, for example, of Genesis 10, verse 18, are foreigners, having descended from Noah's grandson, Canaan. This then would perfectly explain the spiritual meaning of why the wool and the linen were forbidden to be mixed in Deuteronomy 22, verse 11. Verse 48 continues, whether in leather or in anything made of leather. Here it also mentions or, or skin. And thus it is a leprous plague in a hide or in anything made of a hide. This is the third category. There are those of Israel and there are those of the Gentiles. But what does the or or skin signify? The word signifies to be exposed or bare. I would suggest that it speaks of the universality of man, both Jew and Gentile. One could make a distinction between the first two terms, but the third term unites the two where there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All must come to Christ in exactly the same way. Verse 49, Then if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, it is a leprous plague and it shall be shown to the priest. The word yerakrak or greenish is introduced here. It is believed to give the sense of having a yellowish tone to it rather than being fully green. Although it's such a rare word that there is a lot of disagreement on this. It's used only three times in the Bible, and the third is in Psalm 68 when describing gold, and so it probably means either yellowish or glistening. If the material or garment or anything made of skins, such as a wineskin or so on, is greenish or reddish, it is to be considered leprous and requiring the priest to examine it. Verse 50, the priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which has the plague seven days. Like the leprosy on a person who is then to be isolated seven days, so is it with this item made of one of these materials. Seven, being the number of spiritual perfection, are the number of days required in order to provide sufficient time for an evaluation to be made and to see if any positive or negative changes occurs during that time. Verse 51, and he shall examine the plague on the seventh day. If the plague is spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf, in the leather or in anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy. It is unclean. The word ma'ar or malignant is brought in here. It will be seen three times in Leviticus and once in Ezekiel. It indicates a prick as if from a briar, but it comes from a root which means bitter or causatively to embitter. If the plague spreads during that seven days of isolation, the leprosy is considered active, and thus the garment is unclean. Bad news for this garment. Verse 52, he shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or wolf in wool or in linen or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. Does anybody remember our text verse from Jude? Okay, he talked about the garment of the flesh. Save them from the fire. What do you think that's talking about? Unlike today where we go shopping for clothes on any given day and wear them until we get tired of them and then we simply toss them out. In Israel, a garment had much greater value. The same is true with anything made of leather. Things were kept as long as possible because they cost a much larger percentage of a person's budget than it does now. However, if there was a spreading leprosy in the item, it was toast. 
one would speculate that it would be the priest himself who would guarantee that the garment would be burned in order to ensure that the plague was destroyed. Verse 53, but if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, if in the determination of the priest the leprosy is not spread, then it may not be malignant at all. Despite it being a leprosy, it may just be one which is stalled and can be taken care of in another way. If this is the case, verse 54, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days. If after seven days there was no change in the garment, then it is to be washed and then isolated once again. The word for wash, kabas, is used 51 times in the Bible, almost every single instance of which is speaking of literal garments. Of the few exceptions to this, the most notable is found in Psalm 51, where it is used twice. Let me read this to you. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Remember, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he, you know, Nathan the prophet came up and accosted him and said, you've done this thing, and he realized the Lord knows all things. He wrote this beautiful psalm of repentance. He says, wash me, that word kabash, thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me once again, kabas. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. One other time, it doesn't specifically refer to real garments being washed as in Jeremiah chapter 2. Here's what it says. For though you kabas, you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, Yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. You think there's a reason for these leprosy verses now? It's all making sense. Subtle hints of other things are certainly being seen in these choicely selected words. Verse 55, then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed. And indeed, if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague is not spread... It is unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire. It continues eating away, whether the damage is outside or inside. What might be surprising at first, but which isn't at all when considered, is that if there is no change in the leprous plague, the garment was still to be destroyed. One might have first thought, well, this not spreading is a good thing, right? But it is the plague, not its spreading, which is unclean. Unless the plague retreated, signifying that it was in complete remission, it was just as much a plague as it was when it was identified. The translation here says, has not changed its color. However, the Hebrew says, has not changed the plague its eye. In other words, its appearance. The word color lacks the whole aspect of the intent of this word. As the eye perceives, so its eye or appearance is. If the plague remains after being washed, it is described by a word used just as once in the entire Bible, pechethet, and eating. The word thus means a pit. Think of eating something out and you've got a pit in it. And what actually is surprising is that in this verse are the two nouns, karachat and gabachat, which were first seen in verse 42, translated as bald head and bald forehead. 
Here they're translated as outside and inside. Regardless as to whether this plague is seen on the side which is seen or on the inside which is not seen, it is still a leprous plague and it is to be burnt in the fire. With this verse, we can now say goodbye to the words karachat and gabachat. Thank you. Verse 56. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the wolf or out of the leather. This verse is pretty much self-explanatory. The word faded means to darken. Instead of it being a glistening plague, it is now dulled. If this occurs, then the part which contains it is to be torn out of it. Whatever material it is made of, that portion which is defiled is to be torn out. Verse 57. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire in that which is the plague. Bad news again. If at any time the plague reappears in any garment as described, the plague is to be considered a malignant one and the entire garment is to be burned. Verse 58, and if you wash the garment, either warp or wolf or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time and shall be clean. If the first washing was fully successful in cleansing the garment, then there's no need to tear anything out of it. Instead, it is to be given a second washing and voila, it is considered clean. Verse 59 finishes our verses today. This is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or wolf, in anything made of leather to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. As we saw already, the garment or utensil itself was infected with the scourge. It didn't merely transmit a disease as we would think of something communicable today. Rather, the garment itself bore the disease. And thus it was a sign and a miraculous curse for Israel to learn from. And as Israel was to learn from this, so we too are to learn from it. What literally happened in Israel is something which carries spiritual meaning for us today. The leprous article has essentially the same spiritual application as that of leprosy on a person. Further, as I showed above, the words translated as warp and wolf actually look to the materials of which the garments are made. One was from linen, picturing Israelites. The other was from wool, picturing Gentiles. The third category, leather, or literally skin, signifies any without distinction. If a plague of leprosy is found, as it is with all people bearing original sin, it is an indication of grievous sin, just as it was in the skin of the people in the earlier verses of this chapter. That's why I'm not going into all the detail I did before, because it's the same symbolism. This must be dealt with through purification of healing or through purification in destruction by fire. When a garment bears the curse of sin, it is to be isolated for seven days. This is the time allotted for any person during the course of their life. It is emblematic of the time deemed by God as their pre-appointed span. If they are shown to be unregenerate and if their leprosy spreads during that span, they have had their chance. Without purification for them, it is off to the lake of fire for what is truly divine purification, eternal and final. If, however, there is no change after the first evaluation, meaning there is still original sin, but there is no further spreading of the leprous plague, it is to be isolated another seven days. If there's no change in the garment after that, meaning whatever time of grace the person is given to be purified, the person is still sent off to be eternally burned. As I said in that verse, which was verse 55, it is the plague itself which is unclean, not whether it is spread or not. 
as we all bear original sin, just as David showed us in that psalm that I read you, we stand unclean. He said, I was sinful at birth. I was born in iniquity. I was sinful from my mother's womb. We bear that original sin. Even if we live a life full of good works and our original sin never spreads, we are still tainted with the plague. It must be purified. In this case, it wasn't. And so it is off to the lake for purification by fire. In the next example, the plague has gone into remission and the plague has faded. That was verse 56. That portion of the garment is to be torn out. The plague has been excised, but there is a warning that if it returns again, the garment is to be burned with fire. The instructions for this situation never proclaimed this garment clean. It simply leaves the note that if the plague appears again, it will be burned. A garment which is not declared clean is, by default, unclean. A person who purifies their life and removes every single vestige of sin is no closer to being declared clean than the most vile sinner. There is only the sense that spreading sin could return at any time and reinfect this poor soul. The final example is the garment which was washed and the plague has disappeared. That garment shall be washed a second time and it will be declared clean. The first time the priest commanded the owner to wash the garment. This is the person who is attentive to the word and takes it to heart. When the conversion is seen, the second washing, that of cleansing and purification through the blood of Christ, is what truly cleanses. The declaration is clean. In the end, the passage concerning the leprous garment only has one way to be declared clean, and that is through the second washing, picturing the work of Jesus Christ. There are some who are obviously defiled, Their garments are stained and they continue to stain them. Their plague is active and it will end in destruction. There are those who hear the word and do nothing with it. They may rely on their own washing, but their plague remains. They are the ones spoken of by Jeremiah. They wash themselves with lie, but their iniquity is still there before the Lord. You wonder why the Lord picked that verse to say the word kabas instead of a literal garment, but washing, right? It is an open sore which is not healed. Their end is also destruction. There are those who hear the word and who clean themselves up in accord with the word, even to the point where their sin is no longer evident, but they are never declared clean. It is only a hopeful signal of future good. It is one which is left unanswered as to what they will finally do with their lives. Unless they receive the second birth through the washing of water through the word, taking the message of Christ in and having no trace of the plague of defilement, They are simply garments with holes torn out of them, unable to serve the purpose for which they were originally intended. And then there are those who come to the great physician, who have their garments purified by him, who are saved from the eternal fire, which awaits any and all who fail to do likewise. The lesson here is that of grace. The infection is already in the garment and it must be removed. The priest could just say, this is infected, burn it. And he would be well within his rights to do so. But when grace is offered and when it is received, he can take that which was defiled and he can purify it wholly and completely. If you're still awaiting your declaration of purity, your guarantee of eternal life because of the removal of that which separates you from your God, I would ask you today to call on Jesus Christ to be washed in the blood of the lamb and be purified whiter than snow. You ask yourself, Why is the book of Jude at the very, very end of the Bible, right before Revelation, where the lake of fire is proclaimed? It's one last warning, contending for the faith of the saints that was once delivered. 
all of us have garments which are stained with sin. I was born in iniquity. I was sinful from my mother's womb. And that pertains to every single person that has ever been born on this planet, with one exception. With one exception. Because he was born of a woman, but not of a man. And it is through man that we receive our sin. All people have a human father, all of us. And that sin travels through. That's why we have the rite of circumcision. It's a picture of cutting that sin line. And here Christ is in the womb of a woman without that sin line because his father is from heaven. He did not inherit the sin of his father because his father had none. And he lived this law that we are given perfectly. 613 laws in the law of Moses that we can't even meet one of them because we're already tainted with sin, right? We can't meet any of them. He lived them perfectly. He never sinned before his father, and he gave his life up voluntarily to cleanse us from our defilement. And as I said, he could have just said, you're already tainted with leprosy. I'm going to send you off to the fire, and that would be his right to do so. So this passage today is a passage of grace, which, by the way, is what the Bible ends on, doesn't it? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Right? That is it. That's what God has come to do, is to give us his grace through Jesus Christ and to wash us. And if you have never called on Jesus Christ, your leprosy remains. And all you need to do to be cleansed is to call on Jesus Christ, and it will be purified. You'll receive that second washing. You will be purified, and it will be forever. You can never lose what God gives you. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, that those who believe receive the Spirit, which is a deposit, a guarantee of eternal life. If he gives you the Spirit because you believe in Jesus Christ, and then he says, whoops, you've screwed up, I'm taking that away. One, he made a mistake, which God can't do. And two, it was a very crummy guarantee. God loves us enough to save us despite ourselves. So call on him, be saved by him, and be assured that you are saved by him. And stay away from the Hebrew Roots movement, which says we've got to go back and do this and that under the law. Does anybody here inspect people's garments before they walk into the church to see if they have a leprous plague? No, it's silly. You take and pick and choose. We've got to do this and we've got to do that, but we don't have to do that. It is fulfilled in Christ. It is done. He is the end of the law for all who believe. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Call on him today. Our closing verse comes from Revelation chapter 1. It's verses 5 and 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, then has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Next week is Leviticus 14, 1 through 9. Oh, I'm telling you, these are beautiful verses, guys. What will these nine verses yield? It's entitled Set Free in an Open Field. That'll be our 22nd Leviticus sermon. And I'll tell you this. Think of what we just went through. Think of what we just went through when I say the same thing I say to you every single week. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? I got a poem for you today and we have a young lady named Megan who's visiting today. So I'm going to pick on her for a second. I'm going to let you know. You get the uh, verses when you come in the door, right? Before we give the sermon. And then you get the verses during the sermon because I read them all again. And just so that you don't forget them, like everybody forgot that one precept, I give it a third time. I make a poem out of it. So we've got a poem of Genesis. We've got a poem of Exodus. We've got a poem of Ruth and um, Jonah. We go to a little book in between the big books, and we're getting one done in the book of Leviticus. So this is for you today. It's called The Law of Leprosy. 
If a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, such as the sight, then the priest shall look, and indeed, if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. Surely this is worthy of a super happy grin. As for the man whose hair has fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. Don't worry, Charlie and Kyle. This is what that does mean. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, only forehead is seen. He is bald on the forehead, Jim, but you are clean. And if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. It is leprosy for sure. Then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if the swelling or the sore is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body is the sight, he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. This is what that sore does mean. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, a most distressing affair. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. It is so. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Out there he shall go. Also, if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it is woolen garment or linen garment, whichever, whether it is in the warp or in the wolf of linen or wool, whether in leather or anything made of leather, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or in the wolf, or in anything made of leather, yes, anything whatsoever. It is a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priest. This applies to everyone from the greatest to the least. The priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which has the plague seven days, and he shall examine the plague on the seventh day. If the plague is spread in the garment in any of these ways, either in the warp or in the wolf, in the leather or anything made of leather, it is seen. The plague is an act of leprosy. It is unclean. This is what that does mean. He shall therefore burn the garment in which is the plague, whether warp or wolf and wool or linen, ready the burning pyre or anything of leather, for it is an act of leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. But if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague in the garment has not spread, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, as I have said, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague they shall do this as I say, and he shall isolate it another seven days. Thus it shall be this way. Then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed. And indeed, if the plague has not changed its color at all, though the plague is not spread, it is unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire. This is my judgment call. It continues eating away. It is unclean, whether the damage is outside or inside. This is what that does mean. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the wolf or out of the leather, so to you I do submit. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or in the wolf or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire, that in which is the plague, yes, in anything whatsoever. And if you wash the garment, either warp or wolf or anything or whatever is made of leather, whatever material is seen, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time and shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague. In a garment of wool or linen, either in warp or of wolf, as is seen, or in anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. Lord God, we were all unclean before your eyes. 
each of us deserved to be cast into the eternal lake of fire, but you treated us like a marvelous prize and rescued our souls from that terrible burning pyre. What value is man that you would do such for us? What do you see in us that this thing has been done? You took our uncleanness and placed it upon Jesus there on Calvary's cross laid upon your son. Though it is beyond our ability to understand, we receive the gift and now call out in praise to you for what you have done so marvelous and grand. Thank you for Christ our Lord, who is ever faithful and true. Praises, yes, praises we call out now and forevermore, whether here on earth or upon that heavenly shore. Hallelujah and amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you did through Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. What an amazing thing. It's all right there in the Bible, garments which are tainted and filled with sin, and we're walking around in them, and we shake our puny little fists in your face, and we say, we can work our way to heaven on our own, or we can do better than you can by adding to what Christ has already done. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for that. Help us to trust alone in what he has done, and thank you that you have redeemed us by the precious blood of the lamb that was slain. Hallelujah to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has done these things. And Lord, we certainly bring up the names that we brought up at the beginning of the service today, those people that are suffering with afflictions in marriages, in physical affirmities, traveling, and whatever else out there, people that are are struggling with finances and so many other things. Lord, be with them. Help them through these things. But if you allow them to continue in their affliction, just remind them that they are the redeemed of the Lord, and these things will pass some wonderful day. And may that day be soon. Praises to you, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.